Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm excited to get started. But before we do, I wanted to let you know about my motherhood reimagined single mom by choice community. When people ask me what the most important thing they should do in their single mom by choice journey, I say, find your community and start building your support network now. Really, no matter what stage of the journey you're in, whether you're trying to decide whether to become a single mom by choice, trying to conceive, navigating pregnancy solo, or in it as a mother, it's really hard to express how powerful it is to find others who really get it. When someone articulates what you've been thinking but not able to put to words, it can be so profound and it can help you get unstuck so quickly and bring so much comfort. And that's why I created this community. The membership includes a community forum to connect to others, online meetups so we can connect in real time, guest expert interviews on a variety of topics that are relevant to single moms, such as estate planning, dating, parenting, and more. It's a small and mighty growing network. You can find the link in the show notes. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. Today, I'm joined with Vivian. Hi, Vivian. Thanks for joining me. Hello. Thank you. So the first question I like to ask people is, as a child, what did you expect for your life or what ideas did you think might come to fruition as a child? Yeah, well, I think like a lot of people, and I've been listening to your podcast, so a lot of us sort of say the same thing, which is that I figured I would get married. I'm an only child, so maybe I thought one or two children I always imagined I'd be married, that my parents were married. I'm straight, so married to a man. I just sort of a typical family in my head. But I also had this thing where I didn't want to put a lot of effort toward it. I, I wanted it to unfold naturally in a way that seemed more romantic or like faded than if I really tried hard toward it. So I got different results. I don't know if my lack of trying was the reason, but I, I didn't find a husband or have children that way. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I, I feel like I grew up feeling the same way at least in my like 20s and 30s, that I was like, definitely didn't want to, yeah, try too hard. I didn't want to try too hard for a couple reasons. Like one, I thought of myself as kind of rebellious and a little bit against the grain and not like a really predictable girly girl. And so I had that identity in my head. And then I also had this this romantic or fate will do, take care of it for me. And then I also had like a shame of like, I don't want to just sort of say outwardly that, uh, you know, I just want to be a mom and, and a wife. I don't know, those seems like embarrassing things to say out loud. And so I had all of this kind of like privacy and shame about it and these romantic notions and I'm independent and I'm different. And, you know, so I didn't get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. I don't know if you've read my memoir, but I talk about that, how I felt like Yeah, I just assumed that saying I really, really, really wanted kids would turn men off. So I feel like I really buried desire. That's right. That's right. I didn't even identify with it as a younger person because partly, yeah, I thought it sounded sort of desperate. It sounded really uncool. I thought of myself as a different kind of girl that was more interested in travel and school and self-development and just other things. And that to focus on having a family was like embarrassing to Mm -hmm. say out loud. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I could never just say it. The issue when I got older then turned into like, well, I don't want to look desperate, even Mm -hmm. though I felt inside at that point desperate. So it just, it was awful. It it was a hard journey to to develop and grow out of that and to state aloud what I want, what I wanted. And as soon as I did, it's like the momentum shifted and I started getting closer to having and building a family. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as long as I was locked into that shame, I I couldn't like, I couldn't make anything happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us how you shifted that. How did you eventually get to the place where 
where you were willing to say it out loud that that's what you wanted? Well, so that dynamic played out in the kind of relationship that I attracted and was attracted to. So for a long time, I was in a relationship in my 20s and early 30s off and on with someone that I was really enmeshed with. And it was a great relationship in some ways, but it could never, I don't know, we could never seem to build a partnership where we could ever talk about marriage and family. And so I had to let that relationship go feeling like we were never going to get to a place where we could build that. And then in my subsequent dating after after that, you know, I was then in my early and mid and later 30s. And it was really hard to find someone who didn't already have a family or was already committed or was that I wasn't, you know, it was just hard to find a partner. I never did at that phase. And it was getting more and more urgent. So I had to let go of, of that initial relationship and other sort of potential dates and partners where I was pursuing that in my mind of like, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. But it wasn't until I sort of (laughs) let go of that initial kind of plan A, this is how it's going to happen idea, probably around age 36, when I said, I don't, I just don't see it happening this way. And I'm going to start trying on mentally the idea of doing it in this other way on my own. And as soon as I I allowed myself to have those thoughts and explore and say that out loud first to friends, much later to family, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of say that to family, but with close friends and first, my very first one really that I started talking to was someone who agreed to be a known donor, Mm. who was an old friend of mine from high school. And so I think I was 37, but he didn't live in the same town I live in. He lived across country. And so we could never like get the timing right. But we did all sorts of things. And this was important in my getting there, which was things like developing like a, a legal agreement and really having a lot of intense conversations about how it might work and his involvement. And so he came to town and we we like stored his semen for an IUI when I was probably 37 or so which didn't work. And then, you know, I didn't see him because the timing wouldn't be right. I was, I was open and he was open to just having sex as a cheap and easy and more fun alternative. But yeah, but we, but he wasn't going to be in town in the right time and his job was taking him everywhere. And so anyway, we did this frozen thing. It didn't work. A couple of years later, we actually, uh, yeah, I'm 39 by that time. And I was trying to date still, still like trying to like find a partner, but but I was also having this other track of like, well, I'm obviously pushing to have a child on my own as well. I don't know. I was doing all kinds of craziness <laughs> times. But, but so with him, those conversations kept happening, that one attempt. And then later, when I was 39, we did have sex and I got pregnant. Wow. It was insane. Yeah, it was amazing. So that pregnancy miscarried, though. Mm. It didn't last. And that was really, really devastating because it seemed, again, bringing back in that like, oh, it was magical and faded and it all just fell into place. Thinking from my earlier years was still there. Mm-hmm. And then it, the pregnancy failed. And so it was just heartbreaking. But that pregnancy allowed me to share this whole plan and this whole vision with my parents. Mm. Because before then, I hadn't been able to, to find a way to explain to them, like, this is something I really like, I want not in an abstract way, like I'm really working toward it. But with that miscarriage, I didn't hide it from them. I shared that with them. And, and I was able to kind of ex- externalize that real desire I had and mm-hmm. pursue it more openly. Mm-hmm. And my friend, then his job took him to an international assignment. And so he was way, way far. And he mm-hmm. became not an option to go for Forward and I, I started looking at firm banks and using a, what do you call it, an open identity donor. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately how I had had my daughter. Um, and I got pregnant with her about two months after that miscarriage. Wow. So like when you started contemplating it alone or sort of realizing it wasn't going to work the way you, like, you know, it wasn't going to be first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. Did you, did he sort of pop into your mind as like, that would be a good person. And that's sort of what got you thinking that you could do it alone. Oh yeah, that's exactly right. No. Yeah. He was the first person. And I, expl- I mean, some of my girlfriends too, but they were kind of on another path. Some of my closer girlfriends, like 
a best friend from you know childhood and others were were married and they were starting to have kids kind of in their own families that way in the marriage and so I I, I don't know I just I couldn't really talk in the same way as with this friend who and he's a very dear friend to this day but at the time in my mid 30s when I was like more and more anxious and saying I feel like I need to just do this on my own and Finally, one day he said, well, I would be your donor if you want. And I said, whoa, like, really? You know, it, I just, I didn't know he, he would, but he, he doesn't, he's a very unconventional kind of person and didn't want his own children. He didn't want, he has no real kind of fatherly instinct per se. He doesn't, you know. So he was like, I don't really see myself doing that. And, you know, you're welcome to my sperm <laughs> if it helps you. So he was open to that. And so then that started the ball rolling of like, well, maybe I can do this, you know? Cool. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. I was just curious how that happened. After having a pregnancy with him, I would imagine it would be really difficult to like let that go and move to a sperm donor. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, yes, it was, of course, my first thought was like, okay, we got to do that again. Like, you know, (laughs) it it Mm. worked to you. You're this important person in my life. I, you know, I, I can see how it would work. We've done all this talking and agreeing. You, I've known you for 20 years, you know, just like it all felt like that. That was the one way I had to do it if I was not going to do it the right, the regular way. Mm-hmm. And, but it just logistically, the hurdles were intense. Like he just was not going to be back anywhere on the continent for, I think it was a year and I wasn't going to wait a year. So I moved on and I think, I, I don't know. It was just, I think my, my desire to be a mom overcame that, like, but it was hard. And I, you know, we actually, there was like hurt feelings and arguments and, with mm. him about like, why, why can't you make this exception and come back? And he, in his mind, he was like, well, you know, like the moment slipped and now it, maybe that was a sign. And, you know, maybe I, I just like, I got to go do this thing. And I don't know, it was, it wasn't door closed on that. And I had to kind of pick up and move on. And, and I did. And by the time I got into like selecting a donor, I was in another headspace and I was just excited. Mm-hmm. Cool. I mean, I think that's, it's nice to hear because I think that it's, yeah, I can only imagine how hard that would be to get used to it one way and then you have to completely totally. switch again. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like I was getting like less and less personal. I was, you know, from that dream of like, oh, it's going to be with my husband who I love. Okay. It's going to be with like a friend who I love. And then suddenly it was like, it's going to be a stranger. I don't even know. So getting... <laughs> Getting there mentally was hard, but as then I started switching to like, yeah, but this is how I can I can grow a family. And then I had to let go and get there. So, but it was hard. Yeah, yeah. So, will you tell us a little bit about what picking the donor was like for you, and how you like what were your criteria, and how did you pick? Yeah, well, I sort of stumbled upon a mid-sized sperm bank, which I was comfortable with because some of the really big ones felt intimidating in the volume of donors. Mm-hmm. I wanted something smaller than the really big ones like Cryo and Fairfax. Mm-hmm. So I found a smaller one, which already was comforting. And then I also happened to be CMV negative. So the donor had to be CMV negative, um, which cut the pool in half mm-hmm. <laughs> again. <laughs> so again, these sort of external factors were winnowing my choices in a good way because I I just felt overwhelmed with a huge volume. So I was looking at about, I don't know, maybe like 80 to 100 donors Mm. and sort of picking through. Mm -hmm. And that felt good. Like I felt like there was enough variety, but yeah. And then I was just looking at health, of course, health history, I also was looking at race and ethnicity because I'm a non-white person and I thought, well, maybe I want a mixed donor. Maybe I want another person of my ethnicity. Maybe I want, you know, specific background. And I, and I tried various combinations of that, but that was a factor. Mm -hmm. But I ultimately ended up picking a white donor because I went on pure intuition. Like, Mm. (laughs) it's just... At the end of the day, I I saw his photo and I just thought, I feel like it's going to work with this guy. And I went with my gut, ultimately. Nice. Did you say you got pregnant on your first IUI? Actually, 
it was the second IUI. It was I picked another donor, a different guy on the first one, and it failed. And then I switched to this one that I he was new in the catalog. He just appeared, and I was like, whoa, I feel like that's the guy. So yeah, so the first cycle with him, but the second IUI. Nice. Okay, cool. And so now you have just one child, or more than one? I have one. I'm trying to have another, but it's it's mm. pretty complex, different now because I'm older as well. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm gonna have to go to IVF, which is daunting, but starting that process. Wow. I can imagine that's really difficult when you already have a kid. <laughs> exactly. And and when it was like relatively easy the first time, frankly, the first two times were so simple. And now it's like, oh boy, this is really, this is really a process. So it's intense. One thing I wish I'd thought of, not that I'm unsatisfied with it now, but it's something I hadn't contemplated when I was in the early process before I had a child was I hadn't considered that I would potentially be, and, and of course, in my case, I want to be, but other families who chose that donor would be a part of my life and my child's life. And that's something to think about. If I had thought more closely about it, I, I would have realized, of course. So in picking my specific donor who's white, most of the families who chose him are white. Something to think about, about the half siblings and the families that you'll meet and come into contact with and have potentially a lifelong relationship with. They're all amazing families. I also hadn't considered there'd be other solo mom families, lesbian mom families, infertile heterosexual couple families. So just like knowing like, oh, there's going to be a community attached to using this donor. That's something I'm interested in, which in my case, I was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I hadn't thought about that. But now that I'm on the other side of it, and we have like Facebook, Facebook group, and we share photos and we know about other biological half-siblings. It's, it's really, really very cool. I guess some people don't want to know about those other families. But if you do, consider that when you're when you're choosing a donor. It never occurred to me to like look on the donor sibling registry with like my sperm donor's number to see if any other families totally. have registered. Or even through, I didn't realize you, I think now through some of the sperm banks, they have like a chat sort of function and you could reach out. Absolutely. To, so did you do any yeah, of Yeah, or even on like sort of baby center blogs, people will be like, hey, did you use donor number, blah, blah, blah. And, and people find each other. And I, I hadn't even, I just, it never crossed my mind that those things were already there. I wouldn't have found anyone because he was so new on the catalog when I chose him that there were no siblings yet. In fact, my child, to my knowledge, is his first child, you know, donor child. So I wouldn't have found anyone had I gone looking. But those things are there if you're using a donor that already is, you know, sort of proven in that way and has donor children. Right. No, I know someone reached out to me or maybe even two people have reached out to me from the DSR and sort of saying, oh, I'm thinking about using this donor. And it blew my mind when it happened because I never contemplated. Um, But I was like, that's so smart. You know, like you could see sent her a picture of my kid and been like, yeah, that's how my kid turned out. You know, like I would have been really forthcoming, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so now that it's happened and we all have these children and we're all sharing, it certainly doesn't feel like the same as, you know, my family, but it does feel like there's a, there's a connection. These The siblings look, certainly they look like half siblings, you know, some of them more than others. Some of them, their resemblance is uncanny. So I don't know. It's just a really neat thing that like there are these siblings out there. I think of it as a positive. Yeah. So how are you in contact with them beyond just Facebook? Have you met any people who use the same donor siblings? They're all just so small. Like we're not ready yet. You know, my daughter, who's probably the oldest is around two and every, you know, all the others are even younger. So we're just not there yet, but I'm sure sometime in the next, you know, decade, we'll figure it out. Cool. And have you started having any conversations with your daughter? I know she's very young, but have you started having any conversations with her about being donor conceived or about having donor siblings? No, I haven't. And I'm, I just am not sure how it would not be a total non sequitur with her, but 
She certainly hears me speak openly, but she probably has no idea what I'm saying. But, you know, when people say, oh, where's your dad or your husband must this or that. And I, I'm, it's not a big deal for me to say, oh, you know, there's no husband. Like it's me and my daughter. <laughs> you know, I had her with a donor. And so she hears those conversations, but I've never spoken to her directly about it because it seems like an odd thing to bring up with a toddler. But I know some people do, even from early years, or, you know, books I want to read to her and expose her to. And it's obvious in our family, too. It's not a secret. We talk about the donor will show her his picture, but she doesn't know who it is. So it's still like super early, but we're going to work it in for sure. Nice. What was the decision like? What went into it for you to decide to have a second? Wow. I mean, yeah. I wavered on it for the first year of her life because I was like, I, I think this is plenty. You know, I have my plate really full. And it's just so much easier now that she's older and she's still like, you know, a full toddler, which is hard. But it keeps getting sort of more and more logistically manageable. And I think I have some capacity and some bandwidth, but mostly I just really want another child because I'm an only child and because there's no bio father. It just feels really intense with two of us. And it would feel like someone's missing, you know, like I can't explain it other than feel like someone's missing from the family and I'm going to go try and bring them in or show up for that. We'll see what happens. Also, to, to for her to grow up and not have, you know, cousins, aunts and uncles, because I'm an only child, it just feels like really stark for her adulthood to only have me as her main genetic connection. Also, my an emotional sort of familial connection. My, my parents, because I'm an older mom, are older, and so they aren't going to live into her deep adulthood. And I don't know, it just feels like I, I'm missing another person. Hmm. So I'm going to try. Awesome. I can't believe it. you say you feel like it's easier at two and that you have more bandwidth though. I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it girl. though? <laughs> I don't know. I had an easy, easy, easy infant. And then I felt like I had like the most energetic, active, like from 18 months onward, I felt like until about three, uh, I was just like, oh my God, is he ever going to stop moving or like touching something he's not supposed to? And I felt like that was the oh, hardest for me. <laughs> really? No, I felt like the first year was just a beat down. Like I was so tired and he was hard as a tiny one. Also because I co-slept with her and so I just was so tired and breastfeeding for so long and just was on and on and on. And now like she sleeps in her own little bed and I don't know. It's just, it's great now. That said, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely like, I'm waiting for ages four, five, and six. Like this toddlerhood is no joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's because like, there's so much miscommunication and, you know, your toddlers just doesn't quite get it and you can't quite explain. And there's so much meltdown and emotionality in that. Like, I would really appreciate a little more speaking and independence. <laughs> You know. Yeah. I feel like my son's five now and it's only been recently that I'm like, okay, he's just like a little person who's like my companion. Yeah. And yeah, it like really, really, really is getting a lot easier now. Well, yeah. I mean, you're past diapers. I'm still I'm still there. So but anyway. <laughs> yes. yes. But anyway, yeah. So do you have any regrets about sort of how your path turned out and how you became a mom? So my regrets aren't so much how, but more have to do with what I was talking about earlier about not owning that I wanted to be a mother at all, about just being so ashamed of that or feeling embarrassed that, you know, no man had chosen me to do this with. You know, I went through a lot of like self-pity around that and rejection and shame. And I wasted a lot of time there. And that's something that's that taken me many years to let go, let go, let go, and move into something new. That's awesome. <laughs> but So that's a regret that I spent so much time in that space. Because it also, I mean, it also precluded me from finding fa- family creation with a partner, because I couldn't even really say that to men, you know, or even this person. And I was with for 10 plus years. Like we could never quite have that conversation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and mostly because I was so pent up around it and had this identity and these ideas around how I needed that to unfold with a man. I wanted essentially a man to like talk me into marrying and having children, <laughs> which is absurd. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wish I regret not sort of doing the work to move past that as a younger person, whether that was my own work in inside myself or going to therapy to like work that out or just having the courage to say that to friends and family about like, I have this goal. I really want to be a mom. I'd love for it to happen, partner. But even if it doesn't, I'm going to go down this path. Like I couldn't just say that out loud in a way that now I can. Yeah. Yeah. I, as I said before, I relate to that so much. Like, I feel like I, like I was so convinced that like men didn't really, really want kids, that it was really just women who had babies that I like suppressed it. Like I grew up like thinking I was like my goal in life as a kid, which I know is probably common for lots of little kids where they like fantasize about having tons of babies. And, but I just think it was so closely, like so inherent in me that I wanted to have kids. And then I got to sort of like my mid twenties, early thirties. And if you asked me, I would say, Oh, I don't know. It's a decision I'm going to make once I find my partner. So I completely suppressed it to like wait till I found the partner and the partner had to come first before I could even decide. And I think I did that. I mean, I don't totally know why I did it, but I think I did it because I really thought I was going to turn off men if I said that if I put a stake in the ground and said I wanted babies. And it's just so crazy to me now to think about it. Yes. I don't know why I was so mortified, but I couldn't say it out loud because I, again, I thought it maybe it looked desperate. I thought it looked like so typical and predictable, you know, and like uncool. And instead I'd say like, yeah, we'll see, you know, we'll just see what happens. Maybe, I don't know, you know, and I'd, I'd hedge and hem and hide. Like ultimately I was hiding and that caused me to be not known. Like, right. I couldn't really be close to people because I wasn't telling them what was, you know, among other things, but what was really going on in my heart and what I was spending so much time in my head worrying about. So yeah, it was this burden I carried. Yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. And it feels like now in hindsight, I'm like, how did I think I was ever going to find a partner that wanted kids if I wasn't willing to say yeah, totally. that was a good way to weed out people to be like, really? Now I get oh, it. Totally. Like, the more clear I am, the more likely I am to like find the person that wants what I want. But at the time that was yeah, not. And also like, why was it so mortifying? Like what was so embarrassing? Why was, I don't know, but it was, but now I, now it just seems so sweet. Like, of course you want kids. Kids are awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, lots of people want a family. It's yeah. not a big, deep, dark secret. So yeah, it sounds like we had similar kind of, yeah, the alternative. Yeah. I'm the traveler, career girl, blah, blah, blah. That's right. I'm too cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you think your path, the way that you became a mother has in any way changed your relationship with your child? My gosh, I don't think so. I don't know. Like, how would it? What do other people say to this one? I don't. I don't think so. No, yeah, that's okay. it. <laughs> Could it? I don't know. I don't think so. No. Okay. No worries. In hindsight, would you do anything differently if you sort of know what you know now? Well, a little bit what I just said about being open and probably seeking. I wish I'd thought. I think I did go to a counselor for a while, but not specifically around this issue about like, I, I can't figure out relationships. I can't figure out family and how to create one. I can't tell what road to go down. Like I, I would have benefited from advice in that arena and mm-hmm. just emotional, you know, release of going and telling someone about my fears and feelings. I probably would have enjoyed the pregnancy more too. I was really in my head for the pregnancy, especially in the beginning, because I was like, oh my God, I'm really doing this. And it was scary to to not know the donor. I was worried. I was basically worried I was going to give birth to the donor and the donor was unknown, mm. but not realizing in, in sort of like a really felt way that like this wasn't the donor's clone or the donor himself. It was a new person, mm. <laughs> you know? 
because what happened, you do, you start to feel like, oh my God, my child's going to be exactly like the donor. And then I was like, but I don't know anything about him. What if he was actually a psychopath and trick firm bank and all, you know, I was really stressing it in the early bit. Mm-hmm. But now, now I feel like it's obvious that it's a different person, that she's her own person and that she's amazing and that I should have really relaxed into it and, and connected more and enjoyed it more. Yeah, that's, that's actually sort of touches on one of the questions I like to ask people is sort of like, what did you think of the donor and sort of the role of the donor and sort of your attitude in general towards the donor while you were picking and, you know, getting pregnant versus after your child is born. Yeah, (laughs) right. So, I mean, part of what I said is I just saw his picture and I felt like, I don't know why. I just knew it would work. I just knew this was the dude. And I picked him on my gut and then it worked so quickly. I didn't expect it to work so quickly with him, even though I said I had this feeling it would. But I thought, well, at least it'll take a couple cycles. And then I had all these regrets immediately after it worked. I was like, oh God, I didn't mean him. I meant I wanted to think that over more. And so, so I started stressing out about like every detail, like his profile said, you know, they were like, they asked him what his favorite food was. And he was like, I don't know, like, I'm not really a foodie, like any kind of food is fine. And I was like, oh my God, my daughter, you know, she's not going to like food. She's not going to care about food. Like, it's just ridiculous. So <laughs> now... <laughs> Like, now, of course, she loves food and she has favorite foods and she, whatever. Like, she's totally her own person, obviously. But also, I was worried because he seemed more like an introvert and more of a sort of thoughtful, academic, calm person. Whereas in my family, the values, the, the traits that are valued are like exuberant extrovert performer types. And so suddenly I was like, oh my God, she's not going to, she's just going to be really quiet and shy. And I, you know, I was projecting all this stuff onto her from the donor and now she's just perfect. I mean, not that saying like if she were or like him, that wouldn't be perfect. She no doubt is like him in some ways that I don't even know yet. Mm-hmm. But just whatever combination she got and whatever nurture is bringing out in her is just awesome. So yeah, it's just, I feel great about it now. Yeah. And do you feel like you think about the donor that much or does he feel like he's sort of faded into the background? I don't know. I think about him differently, certainly less. You know, I don't stress about me having chosen the wrong donor. I feel great about the donor I chose. And in some ways, I think I couldn't have chosen a wrong donor. At the time, it seemed like it was so precarious and I I just I had there was only one correct one and I had to find it and Mm -hmm. now I realize there would be a great kid probably on the side of on the other side of lots of donors almost any donor I don't know it just I see it really differently now Mm -hmm. I think about him differently now if he's just I feel more thankful for him like and less anxious about it Mm -hmm. I feel like people just when you're when you're sitting on the other side picking a donor it just feels so scary. And, you know, all of the anxiety yeah. sort of bringing up is really real for lots of people. And then I think it's a common, it's incredibly, I don't think I've talked to a woman who hasn't sort of had a similar sentiment to what you said of like, you just end up with the right kid and you, the donor, for me, the donor really like faded into the background a lot because you're just like, yep, this is right. Like, or this is my kid or, you know, it's just also yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels great. It feels fine. Like anyway, any, the anxiety is gone and the anxiety was very real in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Have you dated at all since you were pregnant or since you gave birth? Not really at all. Like I went on like a coffee date a couple of months ago and it let me know that I'm just not really there. I'm not interested in having a relationship and letting that right now, right? Like I see that coming back at some point in my life, but letting this space and this time to not have a partner, it just feels 
feels really right. And when I was talking about letting go of shame and like, oh, no one picked me to do this and everyone else gets the great family and look, I have to do this other thing. And for me, like all of that story and letting that go was tough, was tough. And it's still something I work on because sometimes I look at married women and it seems like they have it a lot easier, but they also have the things like they put up with things that I don't put up with. I don't need to put up with and I have a lot of freedom and I was laughing because I was noticing that one and I was laughing to her because I'm always like, are you are you guys, you know, if you guys have a care in the world, look at how easy you have this marriage, and you're raising these kids. And she was laughing at me saying like, no, it's like really challenging to have a partner. <laughs> and I thought I was reflecting and thinking like, you know, she has to put up with her husband being really cheap and not wanting to buy things that she really thinks she needs. And then I was thinking of my other friend who, whose husband is determined to remodel the bathroom, but on his own and has taken like a year and he's still in the middle of it. And, you know, she, and then another friend who like had to host like her husband's kind of wayward nephew in their spare room for a few weeks. And I was like, you know, I don't have to put up with any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they do. And, you know, they get a lot from their partner, no doubt. But there's a lot of freedom in not having a partner. And it's just something that I'm not pursuing right now. Just don't be like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how have you been able to get the support that you need? Do you have family close by or how have you built your support network? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly, uh, yes, I, I have a very thorough support network and it's mostly family. My mom is a pillar, like she's just a pillar. I could hardly imagine doing it without her. But even my aunts and uncles, my cousins, like people just really pitch in with all sorts of support. My parents, and some of it's just financial. Some of it's just paying for things and giving me cash for things because I don't have that second income, even though I have a great job and a great income. I don't have a second whole income. So some of it's financial support, but a lot of it is just logistical support, meals and help with caregiving and company and just all of it. So I have a really close-knit family and I I can't envision doing it without them, though if I really wanted to, I'd probably find a way, but that's how I do it. Mm, That's nice. And are they close by a lot of your family or are you... Yeah. Yeah. Everyone who really pitches in lives within two, three miles of me, which is incredible. And But I found like my friends are also very supportive, but with friends, I really have to reach out more. Like if I want their help, I'm usually the one to pipe up and say like, let's meet or let's go to this thing together or, you know can you come help me do X? Whereas my family, they just know, they like notice, they notice Mm. like, oh, she could really use a tricycle and they just bring one, you know, saying it's so, yeah, it's different with my family, which is very close knit and not the case for everyone, but I'm lucky, lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. Would you give other mothers any advice about how to ask or receive support? Yeah, I mean, the asking is big. The asking is big because it kind of it kind of goes with that thing about being independent. And that was hard for me to ask for support. And also I was really like private, stubborn, independent kind of person. And so this whole journey has been about me being more open with people about what I feel and what I think and what I need and more connected to them and our relationship. And yeah, like just, it's just, it's a growth for me as a human, as an adult, because for a long time, I was kind of on the surface of life and was really nomadic and didn't want to be rooted or tied down. And Having a child has definitely grown me up in that way where now not only do I have to be more rooted and more like in the world, in the material world, like having a, like a house and a job and purity and stability and a very firm identity and then having much more real connection and dependencies on people on my family and friends that I that I need now so but that's that's all evolved over over time like it was it wasn't like this two or three years ago it built and built and built Mm. can you say more about how you think motherhood has sort of provided that that root it's something I feel like happened where like I just like everything became so clear to me 
It's like the whole entire purpose of my life, everything sort of just lined up, I feel like, in becoming a mother. And I was trying to explain this to someone recently. So I would love to hear how you feel like that evolved for you um, and what that looks like. Yeah, I, I think it's just really orienting. And it's really not only something I feel responsible, like and urgently responsible to do. Like I need to figure out, and I and I needed to do this well before she was even here, but like a stable and peaceful and, you know, great housing situation, job. I needed to understand my income and feel stable. And I couldn't do that in my, if I had my previous lifestyle, which was sort of private. Like I was very closed off about like my decisions and I didn't want to let anyone in on my thinking too much because I didn't want them to like judge me or in some ways know me, like know my deep self. And now like I have to shed all of that because it seems like this cloak or something like like that I was hiding behind. And now my needs to provide a life for my daughter makes all that stuff necessary and make me want to do it. Like it's joyful to provide for her. And I feel called to do that and really happy when she's thriving. And she's thriving when I'm connected and stable and healthy and I'm showing her all these parts of life. So it it wasn't something I did before. I mean, other people find other ways to do this, but I've done it via or during parenthood. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you regret, like, I think when you're sitting there on the decision point, or at least part of the decision point is like, will I hate my life if I, you know, like, what about all these things I love to do? <laughs> totally. Like, I love to travel and I love to be spontaneous. And do you have any regrets about having to sort of shed those aspects of your life? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. And part of the advantage and the, and the gift of being an older mom is, is having these things set up and having financial security and job security and a home set up and having like a huge inventory of experiences under my belt that feel like I got a lot of travel and I got a lot of dating and men and and I got a lot of like spontaneity and sleeping in for 20 years and going to late brunch and spending all day at the bookstore and like all those things that like I can't do anymore. But I had my fill of them and I know I'll return to those things. Not even those things. They'll probably be new things when I'm older or when I get back to things. I'll find new interests. But I feel like I got a lot. I got my share. And so to spend some time raising my daughter and being really dedicated to that, not only is it fine with me, it's something I love to do. Like I'm not like, oh man, I sure wish I could sleep in some more. Like, of course I do, but I also know she needs me and we're going to have fun doing something else. And it's a joy to do it, partly because I think I got so much of the things I wanted for so long, like early on in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In what ways has being a mother been different than you expected? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's been different in that I didn't know the demands of it. I didn't understand the logistics of it and how it would work. So all the practical aspects of mothering, I didn't have a lot of experience with kids before I had a kid. So mothering was new to me. It was different. I was shocked that no one mentioned how like physically demanding it is. (laughs) Mothers put up with so much lugging and carrying and contorting and pain without ever mentioning it. (laughs) That was a shock. (laughs) Um, but yeah I I was stunned like I had carpal tunnel and like shoulder pain and sciatica my foot like I I was just like I am a wreck and I used to be like a super athlete you know very athletic very physical I thought very fit but yeah I have like new arms and shoulders Mm -hmm. from all my lugging Uh So yeah, I think it's really physically demanding, which was a surprise. I think I didn't understand the growth that I sort of was talking about earlier. I didn't know how that would happen and how I didn't also really expect how I would reflect and see my own parents so differently and how I would look at my family so differently. Yeah, she's really brought my family together in a new way, which has been amazing and unexpected. Like I didn't, I couldn't visualize how it would be how everyone would pitch in so much 
and have their own relationships with her. And I guess I also didn't, I didn't know how I would fit in with like my friends who are married. And that's been challenging because the fact is there's like a couple circuit, you know, like there really are couples activities, like family activities for people with a mom and a dad or probably even two dads and two moms. But I don't know that. I definitely know in in my married friend circle, I do have the sense they hang out as, as like married families without me. <laughs> So, which is fine, but definitely sort of like, huh, I do, I, our family's a little different. We're not, we're not like that. We're not a mom and a dad family or a two parent family. So finding, finding kind of my, my footing with that of like, well, how do I fit in with families with two parents, both for myself, from my perspective, and also like, what's it like for my daughter? How does she see all of this? That's also something new to think about. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I feel like well, especially socially, like you wouldn't get invited to dinner with like if people are doing a parents night out, like being the totally. single couples. And then yeah. I know that I most of my friendships, I feel like were like during the week and weekdays with a lot of mom, like stay at home moms or when our babies were young. And then on the weekend, I would find myself like twiddling my thumbs being like, well, who can I hang out with? They do. They hang out together. (laughs) Or with their own own family, I think, to some extent. Like they don't, they're not outside to find friends to hang out with because they're already like a contained unit. Whereas I'm like, oh my God, I need to talk to an adult. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Where by like that afternoon stretch, that like 2 to 5 p.m. where I'm like, oh God, I need to break this day up, you know? (laughs) And that where other families, right, have the two adults at home hanging out or seeing each other and kind of coupley things. It's just different. It's definitely, it's a different family structure. And I think more traditional family, when you have a traditional family structure, it's not your first thought of like, oh, let's invite, you know, the single mom and the single daughter over. I don't know. It's not malicious. It's not a thought, I think. You're not the first one to mention it. And I definitely feel it. I think it's a little, I think that's what I don't know if you know, I moved to Mexico, but it's one of the main things that I love about here is that there is more of that, like a bunch of families hanging out. Mm-hmm. So my son actually has so much more contact with men here because oh, that's awesome. one, because people aren't so overscheduled. So like a husband and wife actually do something together on the weekend and like their whole like right. groups of families get together. And in that situation, right. it's not as awkward. I, I do get invited, but that didn't happen as much in the US at all. Yeah. And so that's when I'll like go visit family or we'll have some, there'll be some sort of family style event, someone's birthday, or we're going to, you know, my uncle's playing. He plays in a little band, a little guitar thing. So, you know, he'll have a thing, whatever. Well, so that breaks up the weekend when, you know, other families have other plans. And then sometimes I just call and I just say like, can I go over and hang out with the kid? And they're like, yeah, of course. We're just hanging out at home, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And what would you say you like least about being a mother? The part I like least, I think I spoke to earlier, which is I think the toddlerhood is stuff. I'm kind of looking forward to a little bit of an older kid. But, and I also like, dislike sort of the regular things that everyone says, which is lack of personal time and like the logistics, mentally a lot schedule and keep all the logistics in your own mind and planning. So all that's hard, but it's not like not doable hard. It's just, it takes effort. So that's tough. And then the pain, the pain part I mentioned. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And what do you love most about being a mother? I mean, my daughter, my God. (laughs) She's amazing. You know, before I had her, before I had her, I had this like nagging. It wouldn't go away. Like, I want a baby. I want a child. I want to be a mom. I want a baby. It was like grief. It was like the way grief just hangs around you and hangs over you and kind of comes in waves and never lets up. It's just there. 
felt like that. And having her like solve that, it really took it away. Like now she's here and it's amazing. So I love that. And I I love the way that all the growth I was speaking to earlier and just watching her develop was amazing. I don't know it's, if you really have that feeling where it's like this thing you in deep inside, like if you really have that feeling and it won't let go of you, it's incredible finally meet your child. Yeah. And what advice would you give to someone if they were at that point of trying to decide whether or not to have a baby on their own or in some way do something completely different than what they envisioned about the way they would become a mother? What advice would you give them? Yeah. I mean, first, like assessing that inner knowing what is going on inside. What's the drive like and what's the real wish for? Uh, Because I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think everyone can just up and do it. It's really hard and you have to have a lot of pretty heavy things in place, including finances and your own inner preparation. And then like all sorts of things have to unfold logistically whatever path you pursue, like it's just trying and it's not for everyone. But if it is for you, if you decide I got to do it, I have a calling and I just I'm going to follow it. All those things can be solved. Most, you know, by almost everyone. I think some people will face barriers that are insurmountable, but but there are solutions no matter what obstacles you come up against. People have found all sorts of ways around them. And you can probably find a solution or find a model of someone who's done it before you. There's so much information in the community too. There's so many single moms group right here in town and probably in every town online their communities. So there's a lot of learning you can do before you go down the road to see if it is something for you. Any other advice you would give to women or just in closing, any other thoughts or advice? Yeah, I think something, the other thing I did and that some other single moms in our group, not not the donor moms group, but I'm in another single moms group here in town, a local one. And we the topic came up a while ago, but it was about living trust and life insurance and guardianship and all those kinds of documents and like had we all gotten to that. And that is something that when I finally did, it gave me a lot of peace. And it was really hard to like face, wow, if I die early, God knows, I hope that's a remote possibility. But like, I have to think of it because I'm the only parent. And even if I weren't, but especially because I am, going through that process was very helpful for me and and soothing in some way. Like it was another part of my responsibility as a parent that was really uh, another kind of logistical piece to take care of. So that's something to think about too. Yeah, we just did a whole segment in my Thinkers Triers group last week on this because I said, you know, I was obsessed with, yeah, like what if I die? Yeah, because you're it. Yeah. And I don't have family. Like I don't have, my parents are too old and my sister isn't interested. So I had to like look outside the box from my family because, you know, there's at least inheritance laws or sort of laws that would kick into place if you had nothing there. But those weren't going to do it for me because my family's not available for that. It really did. It was so hard to do. And it made me so sad because I really had to think outside the box as to who was going to help me. And I had a lot of like, woe is me times doing that. But it did. It created so much peace. Like I don't don't think about my death in the way that I did for a long time. And it it did settle something down in me for sure. So I, I completely agree. And I put it off for, I think, a good two and a half years after he was born, before I did it. And I do agree. It's yeah. something you got to do and you can revisit. It's really big. And I just want, I want to respond saying, even though I do have this extended family I've talked about, they're all a lot older. So I had to think out of the box too and choose some people in the guardianship list. I think there's only one family member and the other two sort of in succession or not. Because, you know, I'm older and my aunts and uncles and stuff are way older and like some of my cousins I wouldn't consider and for different reasons and all that. So yeah, it's tough, but there it is in the event of disaster. Yeah. Well, thanks for raising that because I agree. Anything else you want to add? I think that's it. I was, I'm really delighted to talk to you. I'm, I've been following your podcast and it's exciting to hear everyone else's story. So I wanted to chime in in case it's of use to someone else. Awesome. Well, thank you. It has been really lovely and thanks for being a a fan of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. 
It really helps people find the podcast and it helps me make the podcast more sustainable. And don't forget to check out my Single Mom by Choice community and all my support groups for every stage of the Single Mom by Choice journey. Head to motherhoodreimagined.com or find the link in the show notes. Bye for now.